0: From Writers Shed Press and the Abundance Media, this is the Writers Shed. Writing as a meditative practice—an approach that has become more and more prominent, accepted, acknowledged—it's been around for a long time. But what is it like to bring all your writing in all of its forms to a meditative practice? And isn't writing a meditative process, a practice in and of itself? I'm David W. Berner and welcome to The Writer's Shed. Lauren Krause is with me today. She is a writer and educator who wrote a piece a while back for Tricycle, the online mindful community on the practice of Zen Buddhism. The article is entitled, "Right Concentration, Using a Pen and Paper to Meditate. She joins us now on The Writer's Shed. So Lauren, thank you for joining me on this. I appreciate it. We were talking just before this about how sometimes when those of us who do this kind of work reach out to people. It's kind of random and out of the blue to people sometimes. So it's a leap of faith to jump into these things with us. And I I do appreciate that. Um, but it's not only good to have you, but it was good to read your piece. a couple of years old, actually, about uh, using you know writing as a way to to, to concentrate and to uh, work through meditation. So tell me a little bit about you and how you got to an article like this and many of the other articles that you write for Tricycle.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, thank you for having me on your show. It's uh, I'm ha- very happy to be here and to talk about this. I came to meditation mostly through the practice of yoga. And um, I think what I found very promising about meditation was the act of really just bearing witness to whatever was going on in my mind. And I've been a writer for a long time. Even as a kid, I wrote stories and I studied writing in undergraduate school and in graduate school, but I'd never really thought about the connections between these two disciplines. And once I started practicing yoga and learning about Eastern Eastern spiritual traditions, excuse me, um, especially Buddhism and the different kinds of mindfulness traditions in Buddhism, um, it really got me thinking about how Writing really is a kind of meditation, um, and I started to understand that these two these two ways of exploring the mind really aren't all that different. So, um, and that's kind of what different traditions teach is that there are a lot of connections between things that don't seem very connected. Um, and that's kind of how I started thinking about this article. Um, writing can certainly be a means to meditation, but I also now think about it um, as a as they're one and the same, essentially. And I find that um, very interesting to think about and to explore
0: so so writing is almost a meditative act in itself, right?
1: Yeah, that's how I think about it. Um I find when I'm writing, I often encounter things that I've written that come as complete surprises to me. Like I didn't, I didn't know that was going to come out on the page (laughs) and meditation is very similar. I'll be sitting. And if in my best moments, I can, I can watch my thoughts and, and feel really surprised at a thought I've had. And, and that act of, of acknowledging surprise, I think is a very promising thing. Um, I think that leads to a lot of creativity a lot of um, unexpected turns in our lives and careers and creative lives in particular. And um, I, yeah, I I saw that in common between writing and the act of just kind of paying attention to what kinds of thoughts are traveling through my mind.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you, you came to that through the actual doing, Um, but it's not an old, I mean, it's not a new story. I mean, really. Right. I mean, we've got writers in the past who have, who have linked these two things before, um, I would mm. say, you know, Herman Hesse and Kerouac and Gary Schneider. And I mean, all those people have linked them. Even, um, um, I can't think of his name, now Legends of the Fall. Um, Jim Harrison has has linked it in a way too, in his un- unique way. So yeah. it's um, it's not a new thing, but it is something I think that people, like you say, may not have thought of if they are in a, a place where they want to use meditation somehow or mindfulness somehow, and they're not sure what to do, you know, maybe simple writing or writing down your thoughts or you know, writing a, a, a poem or something like that can be part of the process. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, one thing I was thinking about too, um, if you remember the Simpsons in the opening series, we have Bart Simpson writing rep- repetitively on a blackboard, right? Like he's supposed to be in trouble, Right. And he's writing he's writing over and over whatever sentence he's supposed to be writing yeah. um, to try to teach him this lesson. But what I find, and I, I think this is so fascinating. I don't know if you've noticed this. When you write a word, mostly when I handwrite a word, if I've written it a, a number of times in, in a kind of uh, state of repetition, the word starts to look funny. It starts mm-hmm. to like break apart a bit. And I'll question, I'll question, like, is that how you spell memory? Is that how you spell? Like, I start to really wonder. So um, I was I was researching this because words are something I know so well. So why would something I know so well start to break down in my my comprehension of it? And basically, there's this scientist. Um, I think he's at Baylor University. His name is uh, Charles Weaver. He came up with a term for this called wordnesia it's this thing that happens to our memory when we um, we're used to doing something on autopilot, but if we're so in it, we're so in this autopilot state, our memory just kind of like snaps us out of it and gives us a different interpretation of something we know really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're, you're writing and you say was, was, wait a minute, how do you spell was? Exactly. Yeah. Like the most normal process of finding that word, Spelling that word seems in c- completely difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's
1: what I think too happens in meditation. We create these routines of sitting and thinking and bearing witness, doing this familiar action over and over. And then um, we kind of go on autopilot, but autopilot is like a slow creative death because nothing new happens, right? Mm -hmm. But then our memory kind of jumps in. It's like, wait, I'm going to make this really weird for you for a second. So it kind of snaps us out of whatever autopilot we're in. And it happens with words and language. And I think that's just a really beautiful part of this kind of um, uh, state that meditation can create and that our bodies and our minds can can offer us.
0: It's like what you were saying a moment ago about how this thought that you're like, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, suddenly appears either while you're writing or while you're meditating so mm-hmm. how, does one, how does one do this I mean if you're if you don't consider yourself a writer if you don't consider yourself you know um, you know maybe schooled in in mindfulness or um, meditation but you want to be how, how does one do this I mean we all know how to put words on paper so there's right. got to a connection right so how, how does one begin this
1: yeah. One of my favorite ways to do this is through metaphor actually. Um, and what I mean by that is to take two objects or two phenomenon that don't seem related at all and say, this is that and try to write about the way that things are. And, um, what happens then is that all of these surprises tend to jump out. So I was, um, I I read Natalie Goldberg a lot. She wrote the book writing down the bones and she talks about this. She said, she says like, what if um, a cat is a thunderstorm and it shakes us out of our preconceived notions of what a cat is and what a thunderstorm is. And then we have to try to make these connections. So we, we end up writing in really weird, unusual ways. Mm -hmm. So that's one strategy. And I think that lends itself to this kind of surprise factor that I love are these moments where we have these thoughts of like, oh, I didn't expect that, and that to me is is it shakes us out of our patterning and shakes us out of what we've come to expect about ourselves as writers, as thinkers, and that adds some weirdness into the equation, and then it creates these kind of unexpected moments. Um, that's one strategy. Another strategy is um, good old fashioned stream of consciousness. Um, and really trying very hard not to have whatever kind of filter that we usually have when writing.
0: That's, that's so hard for some people. I know I do writing yeah. workshops from time to time and we do a free writing exercise. And I would say three quarters of the people that are in the workshop struggle with it. They want to edit, mm. fix, they want to change, you know, <laughs> it's really hard sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say I've, I've taught writing workshops as well, where I've seen that struggle. I would say what tends to work sometimes is reducing the, um, the amount of time that you assign. So we're going to write for 30 seconds. People are like, Oh, I can do anything for 30 seconds or I'm going to write for 60 seconds. Um, but my go-to actually is, is the metaphor exercise. I do that for myself. I'll just look around my apartment or look around outside and try to connect to random things that don't seem connected and see what happens. It usually ends up with some pretty interesting writing.
0: (laughs) So once you have that though, once you've done that and you have this on paper and your thoughts or your random notes or whatever they are. um, So what happens now? What do you do with it? How do you make it something more than just an exercise?
1: I try to see where, there's energy on the page, um, where there's momentum on the page. And I don't know how to explain it. It's just become really intuitive for me. When I look at the content that I write, I kind of ask myself, well, what is calling out to me? What seems important to me? Um, And it might not be anything that day. It might be just notes about my, if I'm really anxious, my, my schedule for the day or, or something kind of tedious, but if it does lend itself to further reflection, it's just kind of like, um, when I look at the words, the way I know they're important, it's like a little kid pulling on my shirt being like, Hey, pay attention to me. I need, I need more attention. I need you to focus and explore me a bit more. It might be one word. It might be a sentence I've written and I kind of pat myself on the back. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I can write more like that. (laughs) Um, It might be an unexpected name of a person that showed up in my writing. Again, these are usually unexpected things, right? And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that was still in my periphery. Um, Maybe it needs a little bit more investigation. But it's an energy. It's a feeling. It's like a frequency. It, it, It gets my attention that way.
0: So what what do you think about things like uh you know uh, haiku for instance say this is a, a mm. well the interesting thing about that is you know children work with haikus when they're in grade school sometimes in in elementary but it's a high art you know what i mean it's like they're yes. doing these things that are in a very form process and that's probably part of, part of the pedagogy there but yep it's a high art and it's almost like children doing it this very high art in a way, but it keeps you present though. Right. I mean, that's more than anything is what a haiku does. So does, does, is that something that you can do that, that, I mean, that's, you know, five, seven, five is not a lot of work to think about. Like you said, free writing for two minutes or something like that. This might be. Yeah, different.
1: no, I'm really, I'm really thrilled. You brought up haiku. I, I've i studied haiku um, and have written some of my own haiku and gotten them published. Very thankfully. I think, um, the 575 is a Western interpretation, or I should say, yeah. Western English interpretation right. of traditional Japanese haiku, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the tr- traditional Japanese haiku weren't written in 17 syllables. They were written in, in 12, they're called onji, I think I'm pronouncing that right, or 12 sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're actually a lot shorter than the kind of five, seven, five structure we've been taught here in the United States, and I would say um, in the West. And what I what I I what would love to see in terms of haiku and our culture, there's a, a strong emphasis on syllables, right? Even like you mentioned, kids are taught the five, seven, five structure. Right. But I think what a lot of modern haiku poets are exploring isn't the syllable so much, but the shift or that surprise factor from the first part of the haiku to the to the last part. Right. Um, in if we are adhering to the five seven five structure, you might have you might take the reader on a certain journey in the first two um, lines, and then in the third line, you change an element and it snaps the reader into a completely different mindset. And that's, I think what you, what you said in a really nice way, that's what keeps us present is this, Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that in the third line. Yeah. And haiku does that really well. And especially with the focus on, um, on nature and all things wild. um, In it's in nature where we see the most surprise, right? Right. Um, Everything's always changing in nature and um, the type of short poems that focus on more human interaction, which are called sanryu um, also explore this kind of ever-changing dynamic of people. We're never the same person, uh, even from day to day, even though we have all these ingrained habits and rituals. So I think haiku is one of the most beautiful forms to lend itself to that meditative experience of newness, of surprise, of um, allowing ourselves to be brave enough to see what comes out of us onto the page. Yeah, and then the page becomes as witness to all that's happening in our own minds, which is really exciting.
0: That's a really good way to put it about being brave enough to to do that. Because as you know, I I work through this through workshops sometimes. As people want it to be things to be perfect, or they want things to be goal oriented, and sometimes just the doing is more important. So even Mm -hmm. if your haiku is not considered the perfect haiku. Or maybe you missed an element that, you know, some people would suggest should be in there. Uh, It's okay. The fact that you did it and you process something is really part of the meditation process that you're talking about. Am I right about that? Yeah. Right right assumptions. Yeah.
1: I, I agree. Yeah. I think um, I see that in students a lot too. They, I, I teach a lot of students who are trying to learn English as well as, as trying to write and, they become very focused on the rules of grammar, on um, the traditional format of an academic essay. And luckily, I teach at an art school, so there's a lot of wiggle room in terms of what's right. and we we tend to prioritize, well, how does this best express what you're trying to say? So I think the most inventive and surprising and sometimes beautiful pieces break the rules of grammar or they're not written in a traditional way. So then we start to question what does perfect even mean? Because look how you express this in a run-on sentence that's technically incorrect versus a sentence where the grammar would have been correct but it's really boring and lifeless. <laughs> so um yeah I've I've started questioning kind of so-called like what is good writing and tending to favor well what is really weird writing and how does that get at the complexity of our inner workings better than the rules we've we've learned growing up about um whatever, miscorrect spelling or a subject verb agreement. I mean, these rules do serve a purpose, but also what happens if we break them and what does that that allow us to do too?
0: Yeah, I kind of liken it to filmmaking too. It's like, you know, if you look at all the structure of early films, it's very much in the sort of Greek tradition of one act, two act, three act, right? But Mm -hmm. then you get movies like a few years ago, what was the movie Boyhood, which was, you know, three hours long. There was no Mm -hmm. one, two, three act. It was just a continuous flowing story with no plot. (laughs) Right? So that broke all the rules. But yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. but it was beautiful.
1: Exactly. And I I tend to, I'm starting to find myself reading more of these experimental, um, untraditional writing styles because they just, they... I feel more awake when I'm reading them, and I think the best art shakes us out of what we know and introduces us to different ways of seeing and different ways of experiencing, different ways of being and loving, and just starting to understand the world in new ways. And um, I don't know, I find that about a lot more promising than than something I've read that is might be beautiful but doesn't have that same effect. On me, per se. And
0: this kind of wraps us right back around to what we were originally talking about, because if you are writing as a meditative process and you're surprising yourself, Mm -hmm. then aren't you, you know, being more present to what is available for you to see or hear or feel? Right.
1: Yeah, that's how it feels to me, and that's why. um, Yeah, the, the the best meditation sessions I have are ones where I feel alert. Um, The hardest ones are when I'm sleepy or if I kind of find myself cycling on something, but writing is the same way, right? Like if, if I'm writing something and I feel very engaged and present and alert, even if it's a hard assignment or an emotionally difficult topic, I'm still present. I'm still working on something. But if the thing I'm writing feels lifeless and deflated, Maybe I'm not working on the thing I need to be working on. So I see the, that as another kind of point of connection between. Yeah, kind
0: of the time factor works in that too. You know, when you're writing and you're writing and it's going well, you're like, oh my goodness, I've been here for two hours. And you don't even realize. Yeah. And if you're meditating and you're, you know, it feels that 10 minutes feels like an hour and a half. And <laughs> right. That hour and a half feels like 10 minutes, you know. So it's um, it's a mystery in a lot of ways. Um, That's true. So if someone wanted to begin this process, uh, I mean, really start from scratch, would you suggest doing meditation first, you know, like traditional meditation, or would you suggest doing some kind of writing first to find that um, sweet spot?
1: That's a great question. Um, I would encourage the person kind kind of along the same lines of what I mentioned before, where's their energy going? Um, if they're if they feeling motivated to write, um, that's probably where they need to spend time. Um, if they're feeling motivated to kind of have a more um, embodied mental focus practice where uh, they close their eyes and sit and, and watch their thoughts go by, that's probably maybe the space where they can spend time. I do know people who, I do this myself actually, I will meditate first and then write um just to kind of see what shakes out although uh, the trick there is not indulging in a thought that i get while meditating um especially if it's a story idea or a vocabulary word I think is great. And I haven't used it in two years. I'm like, oh, I should really focus on that.
0: By the um, that word.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, that's a great word. I haven't thought of that in years. But um, And that that also is the practice of letting things go, right? Um, I try to, if I think of a great story idea and I'm only you know, a few minutes into my meditation practice, I have to have faith that it will stick around until my practice session is over that I could explore it. And then so I have to let it go and continue meditating. Um, and that's a difficult practice, but I think a worthwhile one um, is to just have that faith in myself that if this is something I need to explore, um, I'll be reminded of it later somehow, or I'll remember it right when I my meditation session ends. And then I can write about it. But I usually put meditation first and then and then write.
0: So would you consider this in in a, you know, I, and I hate to have to put labels on things, but is this sort of like a contemplative writing experience? Is that, you know, is that what we're doing?
1: It, it could be. It could be. I know people who, who do this in different ways. Um, there are folks... Um, who are in uh, different writing groups I've been a part of, who meditate for 10 minutes and then write for 20. Um, Then they go back for another 10 minutes and write for 20. So then meditation and writing, the practices are very much interwoven. Um, There are people I know as well who, who are writers, but see meditation as, it's not part of their writing practice. It's something they do as a kind of spiritual wellness exercise, um, yeah. and their writing practice is is done later in the day, or it's it's separate, or they consider it separate. Okay. So, for me, I I tried to see them as one in the same, that they inform each other. Um, they they look differently. They take different shapes. Mm-hmm. My meditation practice is actually done at my writing desk, um, mm-hmm. so physically they're in the same space. Um, however, writing is done after, um, and it's
0: the same space though. That's interesting that it's, that it's, you know, for you, it is interwoven.
1: It is, it is. Yeah. I take great care. I've, I've, I sit in a very specific writing chair. It's the one I'm in right now. I'm sitting at my desk now and I meditate seated in a chair. Um, it's the most comfortable position for my body, And it creates a seamless transition from being seated in a chair with my eyes closed, meditating to then taking a pen and writing in my notebook. My body doesn't move all that much. I pick up a writing instrument and then write in a notebook, but my legs and torso and my, you know, generally my head and neck are all in the same space.
0: Yeah. You kind Um, of slide from one thing right into the next, right?
1: It's pretty seamless. Yeah. And I, for me, an embodied experience is very important. So if I'm telling my body, Hey, body, this is the same action, or it's very similar. We're not moving too much. Um, that tends to translate a little bit better to my mind and whatever inner workings are trying to form. On
0: yeah. The day. It, it doesn't mean like, you know, you close one door and open another at all like that. The doors are open. There's a nice little hallway. Yeah, That's
1: <laughs> like a nice revolving door or something. Yeah. yeah a
0: revolving door. That might be a better way to put it. Yeah. Right. Well, I, yeah. I it, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really, I really um, like the way you put it in your article and I like the way you've spoken about it here. And, you know, if there's a way that people want to reach you, um, to talk about this sort of thing? Can they do that?
1: Yeah, I would. I would love that. Um, I have a website. It's Lauren Krause dot online. Um, they can reach me there. I'm also on Instagram and on Facebook, which is my name, Lauren Krause. Um, I'd love to connect with with people who are who are writing already or who are new writers. So yeah, I'm definitely open for that type of dialogue. I would love That's
0: that. Great. Well, we appreciate that. Thanks again for your time today. It was really, really lovely. Appreciate it. Well, thank
1: you, David. I appreciate this conversation.
0: There's certainly much more to explore on this topic. Books have been written about it, all worth exploring. I'm reading a book now from 1997 called Seeds from a Birch Tree, Writing Haiku and the Spiritual Journeys by Clark Strand. Plenty out there like this, too. We are still looking for book manuscripts at Writershed Press. Please check out our submissions page at writershedpress.com to see if your work fits. The deadline is fast approaching September 1st. And as always, connect with us at The Writershed on Twitter and at Writershed on Medium. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at David W. Burner love to hear from you always this has been another episode of the writer's shed production and interviews as always produced inside the shed all the episodes of writer's shed available wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening